Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. A few minutes ago, Chad mentioned um, about tonight, and uh, I, I shared last week there's really no reason for you to go watch the Super Bowl. If the Texans or Cowboys are not in it, then it's really just another game, okay? It's just another game, and uh, I, I, I'll share that with you because, all teasing aside, it's an event, it's a cultural event nowadays, but um, I'm going to share with you also that I'll be here to hear Dr. Bain teaching the book of Jeremiah. In four Sundays, the man who took, look, Nehemiah has 13 chapters in it. It took him six months to get through the book of Nehemiah. He has promised me that in four Sundays he can cover the book of Jeremiah. I want to see a miracle. So I want to go ahead and be there for that. And you can dig into God's word. It's going to, listen to me, it's going to be at 5 o'clock. The reason we're doing it early is so that those of you all that have trouble negotiating things, please leave that little baby here. I like hearing him. I'm dead. To, if he's got to go somewhere, that's okay. But it's really nice to hear somebody that is younger than 61, okay? <clears throat> you don't, now you feel all this pressure. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand there? Great. If he yells, give him to me. I'd love to have him up here, all right? Um, what I want you to do, though, is, is plan on listening to what God's Word says to you in the book of Jeremiah. And listen to what he has to tell you about today through the book of Jeremiah. Because this was written hundreds of years before Jesus took his first breath. And it is a way for you and me to see how God was speaking then and is even speaking now through the same words that a prophet gave Israel years ago. Now, I've got a couple of questions for you, first of all. If somebody asks you to describe yourself this morning, how would you do it? How would you do it? There, there's a mom right over here, okay? She would certainly describe herself as a mom. You didn't know you were going to be the focus of the, of the sermon. Some of you are dads. Some of you all are kids. How would you describe yourself? Some of you... <laughs> all right. Old, fine. You and I oftentimes have to make some kind of distinction when people ask, what do you do? And especially when you get to a college or something like that, and people, you know, what is your major? What do you do? Where are you from? All of that kind of stuff. You can remember having to go ahead and give descriptions of that. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you call yourself when someone asks you about your faith? What do you call yourself when someone asks you about your faith? What's the easy, quick answer to that? Well, folks, I'm going to share with you. Oftentimes, we go ahead and, and try and simplify it down and say, well, you know, who I am and what I am is, is nailed down in a, in a really quick set of, of words. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And very rarely you'll hear, hear people say, I'm a saint. So a Christian... 
or a Christ follower or a saint? Which one of those applies to your life? Do any of them apply to your life at this point? Well, I want to share with you that each one of these terms right now in 2020 mean completely different things than what the Bible has shared that they mean. And I want us to go ahead and not spend time looking at the history only of things, but also to go ahead and look and see how words sometimes change. And as they change, you and I, who have the unchangeable gospel of Jesus Christ, that word that says God loves you this morning as a mom, as a dad, as a child, God simply loves you. Because we hold on to that, we're not defined by a word, we're defined by the Lord. I want to share with you these words as well. Um, when we call ourselves a Christian, oftentimes that comes with connotations that kind of label us in one camp or another, either politically or socially or culturally. Well, folks, when we look in God's Word, we find out that God defines who His people are, who His family is, what a follower of Him is. And this morning, we're going to look at that. I want to ask you another question. Do you know this guy? <clears throat> Do you know this fellow? Who wants to be a Baptist hero this morning? This is Benajah Harvey Carroll. He's a legend among Texas Baptists. And he's the possessor of one of the greatest beards I have ever seen in my life. This is actually a, a transposition, a digital, of an actual photograph of him as he was preaching. Uh, Carol was an interesting guy. He was the seventh child of a Mississippi Baptist minister who moved him, while he's a teenager, moved him to Burleson County, Texas. While in Burleson, he went to church with his father and his family every single Sunday. They occupied a pew just like you are this morning. Carol listened because he was, he was told to. He participated in songs because that was what you did. He, he was a scholar. Uh, at, at the age of 16, he was enrolled at Baylor University when Baylor University was right down the road here in Independence, Texas. And when he was admitted, he tested out of his first two years of college. His first two years. He entered as a junior. He was brilliant. In 1861, he left Baylor University and joined Benjamin McCullough's Texas Rangers to fight in the Civil War. He was wounded in 1864 in Louisiana and taken home, expected to die. He didn't die. He returned from the war broke, an invalid. And although he had married a young woman, he was divorced shortly afterwards by this woman who left him for another man. His life was at an end. His family had rejected a portion of him and, and would only see him when he came to church because he was divorced. Now please hear this, folks. Please hear what I'm about to say. Divorce 
is not the unforgivable sin. Culturally, at that time, it was such a social stigma that folks didn't want to be around him. And see, he was an outcast among even his own family. And he traveled to Caldwell, right down the road from where we are now, to a Methodist camp meeting. The reason he was going there is because all of the Baptists knew who he was and wouldn't, wouldn't associate with him or welcome him into a church. Guys, I'm going to share with you, for us to be the most welcoming church, listen to me. Please hear this. It means we take people as they are. And we let God deal with them. We don't try to change them. We let God do the work that only God can do. How do we become a welcoming church? We don't do what Baptists did in those days to B.H. Carroll. Carroll goes to this this Methodist camp meeting over in Caldwell, and a Methodist preacher begins to share with him the truth of God's work. Now, Carol had heard this hundreds of times from his own father, and yet somewhere along the line, it went in this ear and came out this ear and never managed to make it to his heart. And he ended up believing and receiving the truth about Jesus Christ at that meeting. And from that moment on, God had B.H. Carroll. He went on to pastor the First Baptist Church in Waco from 1871 until 1899. Founded the Baylor Theological Seminary. Look, you know, you all that know me know that I have a special thing about Baylor University. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just didn't say? I tease about it all the time. I tease, I tease Barbara about it. I tease my secretary Sharon about it. I occasionally, I occasionally will, te- will tease Judy. I will tease you, but I do it all in fun. I did not realize until I studied this. I am a graduate of Baylor Theological Seminary, which is now named Southwestern Seminary. If I'd known that, I would have stayed a Presbyterian. All teasing aside, he founded that seminary and then had it moved from from Independence up to where it resides now in Fort Worth. He gave full credit to God when he was asked about how he became a Christ follower. He said these words, A Methodist proclaimed the truth of God that an assumed Baptist would not receive. This is a man who came to Christ, not a church. And when he did, he became Christ and Christ's only. Just like you and I are called to do this morning. We're going to read this morning Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. It's found in Ephesians 2. And I'm going to invite you to stand right now so that we can read it together, standing to honor the reading of God's holy and perfect word. Would you read with me? For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. So let's talk about those three words we, ta- we shared a moment ago. Christian or Christ follower and saint. Words only? Or is there a real difference in what they mean? Is this just some kind of semantic game? Are there any dis- distinguishable differences in these terms? Are any of these used in the Bible? And what do they mean then and what do they mean now? Well, let's start with the first one, Christian. Christian is more than just a little Christ. Christian is more than just a little Christ. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts chapter 11, round about verse 19 through 30, you get the first people called Christians at a place called Antioch. And they're defined as Christians, and this this was both a derogatory and an explanatory term. It would be like somebody, Johnny, it would be like somebody saying, you're one of those little longhorns. Now, for an Aggie to say that to you, you know what that means. But if you have, <laughs> no, it doesn't mean you're going to go ahead and go to fists, okay? But if I were to go ahead and say to my friend Chad, this is a little longhorn. I like him better when he's not facing me and could do me harm. This is a little longhorn. What you would be looking at is somebody that would be, you would say, that guy must have gone to Texas as opposed to being somebody that just simply was, hey, I want to go ahead and somehow get after him and tease him. That's what the the idea of a Christian was. It was both derogatory by those folks in Antioch and it was explanatory at the same time. Thanks so much, Chad. Oh, God bless you. Please let go. No, okay. That is, by the way, wax that's roughly the equivalent of hugging you, okay? You need to hug him before the, the day is over, all right? We can watch that and bet, all right? A Christian was not just somebody that acted like Jesus. It was a term that literally meant when most folks identify themselves, most folks today would identify themselves by this name. Followers of Jesus were called Christians in Antioch. But sadly, this term has been watered down by our culture to include only those things, those people that do good or speak nicely to each other or are passively ignored by the midst of in the midst of a world at large. Think of it as being called, listen, it has become the cultural equivalent of being called a Baptist. Okay? Now, how many of you, we do this every now and then, how many of you all grew up in a Baptist church? Hold your hand up. Okay? Everybody look. Put your hands down. How many of you did not grow up in a Baptist church? Wow. You're in a Baptist church this morning. Amen. 
Guys, listen to me. Being called a Baptist, when you walk out of here, if somebody sees you or someone sees you at at, at La Cacete or wherever you're going to eat, and they look at you and they say, well, I saw you at the Baptist church. You must be a Baptist. Let me share with you what a Baptist was 50 years ago. Some of you... Some of you remember that 50 years ago. A Baptist 50 years ago, you didn't dance, you didn't drink, you didn't chew, and you didn't go with girls that do. That was a Baptist. By the way, you also didn't go to movies. Ladies, you didn't wear slacks. Remember? Yeah. Those cultural things that we... We, we impede upon what God says we are. Look, listen to me. Do not leave this, this sanctuary this morning as a Baptist. Don't do it. Leave here as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in the gospel that He has provided for you, with the understanding that when He died 2,000 years ago on a cross, He knew who you were and He was waiting for you to say, I want to be a part of God's family. Leave with that. Anything less than that. And you went to church. A Baptist church. Words mean things. And the word Christian, back in that first century, mean things. But sometimes those words will morph into a new or a lesser meaning. And we can look at English words this morning and realize that there are words that are used today that 50 years ago had a completely different meaning. Don't downplay the term Christian. What about the next one? Christ follower. Christ follower is a willful choice by you and a work in progress with God. Now I choose to use Christ follower rather than Christian because I think culture has dumbed down what a Christian really means. And if you want to sit through a sermon like you are this morning, I can explain to you that Christian is a perfectly valid term. It's biblical. A Christ follower is as well. Christ follower means that unlike the term Christian, that term Christ follower denotes an action, a choice to follow the teachings and actions of Jesus. It derives from Jesus' call to the twelve in Matthew chapter 4 and in John chapter 10. Following Jesus carries, it, carries with it intentional action. You choose to join yourself to Jesus. The only downside to this term is that it might give too much credit to you and me. Too much credit to you and me. Jesus, in fact, listen to me. Jesus, before you ever chose to become a follower of His, Jesus chose you. And because He chose you, every single person in this room, He chose to become a follower of Him. He absolutely, I've shared it before, He held up a jersey, just like you will see tonight if you go home after January Bible study, and you race home at 6.15 to find out that the Chiefs, the former Dallas Texans, the Chiefs, in fact, are beating the dog out of San Francisco. Yes, I'm still mad because of what happened with Joe Montana and Dwight Clark. I haven't gotten over that yet. We go home to see that. You're going to see 
a jersey on the front that says Chiefs, and on the back you will see the name of the player, Patrick Mahomes. When you do that, understand that God had a jersey for you. Child of God on the front, your name on the back. He has it for every single person that has ever drawn breath in this world. And the only thing that changes that reality is whether you choose what God has already chosen. You have to choose what God has already chosen. A Christ follower is a person that chooses Jesus. And Jesus chose us well before we had any idea about Him. Like B.H. Carroll, we had to come to discover the truth by the word and testimony of others and then respond to that offer. So I want to ask you this morning, have you responded to God's offer to become a part of His family? Please hear this. It doesn't come by being baptized or joining a church. It only comes by faith. And guys, listen to me. The Bible says that by faith and grace, they're partnered together. Neither one of those you generate yourself. Well, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to choose to believe in Jesus today. No, you're not. The Bible says that God gives you the faith to believe. Why was it then that B.H. Carroll could have heard hundreds of sermons by his dad and never responded? Now we can get into a theological debate and say, well, it's because the Holy Spirit had yet to go ahead and quicken his heart to make that choice. He had heard about the, the redemptive work of Jesus. He had seen it happen in hundreds of lives. Why then didn't he? That's I'm going to share with you. God is the one that gives you faith to believe. Faith to believe. Alice, where are you? I'm looking around. Where are Alice, He gives you faith to believe that He is not done with you when you are diagnosed with cancer. Most people go, well, it's a death sentence. I'm going to give up. Alice is happily stubborn and strong in faith. And chooses to believe what God says rather than just simply say, you know what, I'll curl up. Please hear this. You serve and you are loved by a God that is amazing. You follow a God who wants, listen to me, you to prosper. This isn't some TV evangelist going in and telling you that I will send you a cloth and it will be prayed over and, it, and you'll be driving a Cadillac in no time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You have a God though that loves you and He wants to surround you by His Holy Spirit. The Spirit that will guide you and protect you and mold you into the image of His Son, Jesus. That's what being a Christ follower is. Jesus again and again calls His disciples, come and follow Me. Come to Peter, to Andrew, to all of these disciples. Come follow Me. He wants you to be a Christ follower. Not just a Christian but somebody that when they walk out of here on Sunday morning is going to go ahead and say, I will follow Jesus no matter what. What about that last one? Some of you all are excited I'm getting to the last one. A saint. 
Folks, a saint is more than just old dead guys. So let me ask you a question. Do Baptists have saints? Okay. I don't see any of the pictures of them around here. Now look. look. I asked a very good friend of mine who's a Roman Catholic priest. And, and the, in, his, in his parish hall, they had lots of pictures of folks. And, you know, I, I, I'm an educated man, but I didn't know who these people were. So I went around and said, who's that over there? And he said, that's St. Crispus. That is St. Christopher. That is, and he gave the entire litany of all of these pictures. And I said, I, I said let me ask you a question. Do you, do you worship these people? And he said, no, we don't. He said, what we do is we use that image to remind us of the life that they lived. That image is a reminder of the life that they lived to God. Now, I don't think he was trying to put on Catholic airs to a Baptist preacher. I don't believe that's what he... I know him well enough to know that that's not it. They don't worship that person. But folks, let me share with you. The term saint does not mean an old dead guy from years gone by that was a really good dude. A saint is something different. Two times the Apostle Paul refers to the biblical definition of what a saint is. We're going to look at at both of them this morning. First of all, in Ephesians 1, said, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, he either uses the term saint or he uses a variant of that term. And this is one of those times where he does the faithful were the saints. Now, you may have a translation that actually says the word saints in it. He uses that as a means to go ahead and say the followers of Jesus, remember we've already talked about Christ followers, and now we're talking about Christians back. It's like we morph backwards a little bit. A saint is a follower of God. Now there's another one in Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at that. Paul and Timothy, who are servants of Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Did you notice what the term saint is there? And these, this is New American... Uh, this is... Uh, New International Version. That term, holy people, guys, listen to me. You do not get to be a holy person by acting like it. You become holy when you become like God. How can any of us become like God? We don't become like God by trying to be godly. It has to be an inner transformation where God's Holy Spirit comes in and changes you from the inside out. Anything else that you put on clothes that make you look holy... You put on clothes that make you look like you'll fit in at church? Let me tell you what. That is basically dressing a pig in silk stockings. Still a pig. You have to be changed instead from the inside out. And only God can do that. How can you be made a saint? You are a saint this morning. If you're a Christ follower. If you're a Christian. Let's put it back a step further. If you are a person that has invited Jesus Christ to come and forgive your sin, if you are that person, God will do it. That term saint, 
Paul writes to this, these churches at Ephesus and Philippi and uses that term or variant of them as he greets the followers of Jesus. So what does that mean? It means that we are, in fact, believers in Him. A saint is a person that not only is a believer, but continues on in their growth in Christ. It isn't a one-and-done salvation-only experience. It means you allow God access. Listen to me. You allow God access to every single area of your life. There's not one out of bounds. If you are a saint of God, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you allow God to have all of you. The other day I was up here at church. A certain choir member was in the kitchen. He's here this morning. I enjoy listening to him sing. And he was singing the song, which I'm not going to do justice to, All of Me. Know the song? Yeah. He's singing it. He didn't know I was there. And so I'm sitting there outside the kitchen, and I'm leaning up against the wall, and I'm hearing this, and it occurred to me that that song, while it is popular, and it was popular back in the day, really does apply to what this is talking about. All of me. All of you. Every part of you. Not going ahead and saying, well, there's some parts that are a little off limits. No, 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 no. You give God every single part of you if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you're a saint of God. You see, the difference is definable. Being a Christian is like being pregnant. You either are or you're not. There's no wiggle room. And this morning you may be asking yourself, okay, after hearing all of this, what in fact am I? There's a great podcast that you could listen to to hear how culturally this dynamic of being called one thing and, 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 and not living up to it is another. Chris Ingram, Chip Ingram, sorry, has a, has a podcast called Living on the Edge. And he has in it a statement of what he called the 90% rule. I listened to a portion of this message. I read some of it as well. It's telling about terminology and what it means. Culturally, Christians, he said, are no different than the balance of the rest of the population in how we spend money, in our marriage and divorce, and in what we say and what we do. And yet we're called to be different, folks. We are called to be different. Salt when there's a tasteless world we live in. Light in a dark and fallen culture. A follower of Jesus can only make a definable difference by remaining linked to Jesus at every point. So connecting with God daily is that definable difference. How can you connect with God daily? First of all, by His Word, by God's Word. Start with the Gospel of John. If you're here this morning and you don't know where to start reading a Bible, turn over to the New Testament and start with the Gospel of John. Why is that important? The Gospel of John is the one Gospel where John, the, the, the follower of Jesus, says this is what he was really like. This was the day-to-day interaction. It is the most personal of all of the four Gospels. 
Read that one first. It will give you a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. Connecting with God daily through His Word. Second, by praying. Asking God about the choices that you will make each day. The choices that will define you, not by what you call yourself in here, but what others will call you. Where they will say it either as a derogatory term or as an explanatory term that that person believes and follows Jesus Christ. Pray how you're going to make those decisions so that it will be clear to everyone else. Pray that God will go ahead and and draw you to Himself. The third, worship. Look, you're here in worship this morning. You don't want to worship just by yourself, but instead with others. It's a healthy thing to come into a church service, a worship service like this one this morning, and to sing the songs that we shared this morning. I love them. I love singing and hearing people sing. I'll oftentimes be sitting over here, and in the middle of one of the songs that I really love, I will shut up and listen. And we have some amazing voices here. There's nothing better than listening to to someone as you're singing and going, Wow! Wow! And there's nothing really better than listening to someone singing going, I sing better than that person. Wow! Yeah. Worship. Make sure that you go ahead and come to worship. Not here at the Baptist church, but come to worship God. Find yourself a place where you can plug in and hear God's Word, and it will begin to speak to your heart, and God's Holy Spirit will begin to change you into the saint that He wants you to be. Not just a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a Christian, but who He has for you out there. Lastly, let me ask you this. Who are you this morning? Who are you this morning? Christian, Christ follower, saint, or other? I'm going to share this with you. If you're here this morning and you are not a, a, a follower of Jesus, you do not, you have not asked Him to come into your life, I will tell you who God defines you as. You are His beloved child. Even if you have not recognized your parentage spiritually yet, you are His beloved child. And He's inviting you this morning to not call yourself one of these three, but let Him call you that. Pray with me. Holy Father, in the next few minutes, a literal battle of heaven and hell will be going on. Where men and women and boys and girls will be taking the opportunity to say again, I choose to believe or I choose to walk away. And I pray, Father, that we won't walk away from Your great grace this morning. Who You are matters more than what we say we are. But only You can make us Your child. And so this morning, I pray that we will have have receptive hearts to receive faith and grace and to believe that You care for us and loved us enough to send Your Son Jesus to die for us. 
This time is yours. It doesn't belong to me. I pray, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts. I do believe that there are folks here this morning that have yet to say yes to you. And if that is the day that you have called, this is that day, like B.H. Carroll, where everyone else has turned away, we turn only to you and you will receive us. I pray, Father, that you will receive those that need to make their first confession of faith this morning. Father, I believe there's some here that, that also are struggling with a place to plug themselves in and a church family that you are leading them to. And if this is that place and this is that time, then during this time, Lord, would you move and stir their hearts. You and you alone are worthy of our worship this morning. So as we come to this time, may your Holy Spirit reign, speak our name, and call us to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand together. This portion of our worship time is a time of response. And if God is speaking to you about your next step in Him, I would pray that during this song, you simply slip out. I'd love to pray with you here at our altar. You come as God leads.